I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From Classical WETA in Washington, we take you behind the music. In this episode, I'm joined by Lawrence Brownlee, world-renowned tenor who performs with some of the greatest opera companies in the United States and abroad. He joins me to talk about equality in classical music for people of color and what we can do to encourage change today and in the future. With everything going on right now, a continuous issue in classical music has again been brought to the forefront, and that is we are not performing, recording, and supporting black artists and composers as we should. In the world outside of classical music, it feels like we've reached a tipping point of hopefully a path to permanent change. So I want to talk with you about what musicians, organizations, and classical music listeners need to do to foster this permanent change in music over the long term. But I also hope we can find some things that we can do right now, as in today, to support uh, these artists and composers. How does that sound? Sounds great. I'm very interested in that. (laughs) So maybe you can just go ahead and start with you telling us about your experience as an African-American man in the classical music industry. Well, as an African-American man in the classical music industry, it's one of these things that um, I'm always, uh, for the most part, the only one. And uh, of course, we have a great legacy of people like Leontine Price, Grace Bumbry, uh, Martina Royo, Jesse Norman, Kathleen Battle. These are uh, some of the most important names in classical music who are also Black women. And uh, it seemed that there was a time in the past that they were much more at the forefront. Uh, But myself as a young black man, you know, I came into this wanting to have some success, uh, but not necessarily seeing so many people that look like me. And so, uh, you know, I realize now having been fortunate to have a career uh, thus far that I am proud of, you know, it is time now for me to be active Uh, actively involved in trying to be a cheerleader or someone who's in the trenches working to try to expand uh, what it is, our meaningfulness in this classical field. What does that mean? That means uh, getting more people involved is exposing more young people to classical music at an early age, Uh, being in partnership with some of of these arts organizations that go out into the communities and uh, to present diverse concerts and different things, different Um, promote these composers and artists of color to be seen by people of color. And so hopefully those people will be joined to the audiences that are filling the theaters today. But it is an active thing that the companies and the performers, I think, have to work together to go out into the communities, to be visible, to make sure that the companies are marketing also uh, to these various people. Uh, So those people will be interested Uh, even in the marketing materials, to see people that look like myself. Uh, So they, the people that would come into the theater, would be interested in seeing performances by a diverse uh, group of people that are on stage. These are just some of the things that I think are important as we try to grow the audience, which is important. Uh, And especially, you know, it being a European art form, Uh, A lot of people don't realize that there are people that look like me, a black man uh, that is, you know, someone who's been considered successful in this business. And so it is important for myself and my colleagues to really go out and be visible for these people so that they will have the desire to come into the theaters. And you mentioned something about getting music in front of young people and in front of children. And I'm kind of wondering about, you know, we talk about making changes in big organizations for equality, which is very needed, of course. But I'm also wondering, 
although that is necessary, is this top-down approach ultimately kind of like a Band-Aid on a wound that starts much earlier down the musical food chain? So, for instance, I went to New England Conservatory in Boston from 2005 to 2009. It's a great conservatory, but I cannot recall ever playing a single work by a Black composer in orchestra, wind ensemble, chamber music, recital. It wasn't even, I don't even remember it being a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, There is no awareness or even a lack of education. Uh, We have fabulous composers that have written wonderful works of music uh, that they haven't been given the same support. Uh, For whatever reason, I don't know what that is. You're not the only one. You know, it was deliberate on my point to go and study some of these works. And I got a chance to understand that there are works by fantastic composers, of course, Scott Joplin, William Grant Steele, so many other ones that we understand in not just spirituals, but even full orchestral works. And it's one of the things that we need to, uh, again, have a deliberate you know, agenda to go and find these pieces of music. It should be that some company devotes their whole season or half a season or a few months to the, com- to the music of Black composers. Uh, to invite a black conductor in to have to have black artists, and so many of these companies haven't been doing a lot, and it starts at an early level. But you know, even when I talk to people who don't really understand about classical music, uh, I'll tell them that a lot of the music you hear today has some. Uh, you can go back in time and look at the music of either Beethoven or Mozart or. Haydn or some of these other things, and you'll find elements of the music we know today that was taken from the great masters. And of course, they're stylistically perhaps a little bit different, but if you can find a common link or a common thread in this music, I think you can appreciate it. But going back to your comment, uh, it was one of those, you know, if you think about the fact that, yes, we don't know about all this great music, again, it is important to find people in positions of power who make sure that it is put in front of the boards and and the people that decides who puts the seasons together. So that's what I mean by uh, it is important that we are in parts of all in, in every in every aspect of it, not only performers, but also administration and marketing and just at really at a grassroots level that you see diversity. And then you have a much greater uh, possibility that we will begin to understand and be opened up to so much more material because everybody's truly being represented. And from what I understand, NEC is making changes. I'm just talking about my experience at that point. And it is, there's just great music by all these composers. And it feels like as a musician, you almost feel like you were robbed in school of not mm-hmm. having this experience of playing this music. It seems like, you know, it's just a, it's an absolute shame. How would you tell someone, you know, why representation is so important on stage, not just for supporting these um, musicians and composers in their career, but also the effect it has on younger people, whether or not they can see themselves up there? Absolutely. If you think of any field, once you see you see someone that looks like you, you're much more inclined to be interested in it. Uh, there are people that I have met uh, over the years that told me they didn't have any desire or any inclination towards opera at all, but they saw me and they became wildly interested. Uh, If you think about golf, I'm sure there there are a lot of black people who love golf because Tiger Woods, you know, a, you know, black man was one of the great golfers of all times. 
if you think about the fact that our president of the United States, you know, the former one, excuse me, the last one, Barack Obama, there are a lot of people who now believe they can be the president of the United States who are black because they saw him. And this has been in every field. I'm sure like Michelle Wee, the golfer who had so much success, there are a lot of people of Asian descent who probably want to play golf now because they're inspired. And that's what music is about trying to inspire people. So it's important for younger people uh, and people, you know, a part of whatever community we're talking about to see representation on the stages because I think they will be a lot more inclined to support that artistic institution. I'm wondering for you, you're very successful um, right now, but when you were in school, when you were leaving college, going into the quote unquote real musical world, was your experience totally different in the professional music world compared to the you know musical training world of college? I have to say that my college and my undergrad experience kind of helped me ready myself for what I would experience in the professional world. Uh, to be quite honest, I'm not a tall man. Uh, I'm a short, dark-skinned black man. I had teachers who told me early along in the process of study that I would face some hardship. So it got me in this fighting kind of mode where I thought that I would scrap and claw for everything I got. And anything that I got was a benefit of that. Or it was something that, you know, it was it took that necessary extra step all the time. Someone told me that I had to be better in order to be equal to others. And then I needed to have something special. So was I surprised? I knew it would be tough, but I always tried to be the most prepared person in the room. I tried to be the first one to rehearsals. I tried to be the best colleague. I tried to be the most prepared. I tried to do all the things that I could do. My dad told me a long time ago, worry about the things that you can control and don't worry about the rest. And so we are a family of faith. And so I really put my faith and trust in the creator above. And I just did all the work that I could. And so what someone else would think as adequate work for me was subpar. I had to do more because that was just to make me even. And then I wanted to do something or be thought of as something special. So uh, I'm thankful for the hardship. I'm thankful for the tough lessons. I'm thankful for being prepared to know that I would have to fight, 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 because for me, that's just the norm. And so uh, it prepared me in a way. And thankfully, you know, I've been successful as a result of that. And do you think that's changing now in colleges and conservatories where some students don't have to work so hard to the bone to just even be on a level playing field? Do you see that improving? Well, you know, I'm not in college and I've been <laughs> I've been out of college now for about 20 years or so. Actually, even graduate school, I've been, uh, uh, I'm almost 48 years old. And so I talk to young kids all the time and uh, they they ask me to be there, you know, to mentor them. And I actually, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what's happening. And you still have shortcomings in colleges and universities. Uh, but, you know, I have a number of people that I talk to, friends and colleagues. We talk about trying to make ourselves accessible and to try to encourage them. And I think it's important that, again, that we begin to see more voices like ourselves in the room. And so that means we need to apply for these jobs and not, you know, you know, prepare ourselves that when the opportunities to seize these jobs come up, we can take them. So then we can be in the room. So then we can inspire you, myself as a black man, be a teacher of a young black tenor or whatever color, but they will have a much greater awareness of inclusivity. And uh, is it changing? I think it is in a way, but of course, you know, we have to do much more. But that's the reason why myself and many of my colleagues 
are fighting, are talking, are being engaged, are trying to be tapped into what's happening to make sure that we won't accept that things go. The status quo does not need to continue as it has been, but we need to make sure that we are in these meetings, we are in these boardrooms, we are in these you know, executive you know, administrative positions, and that way we can have a much greater likelihood that there will feel like a sense of inclusivity, but also that these young people who are now going, making that transition from student to professional feel more supported because they will see more people that look like them and a greater, you know, idea of diversity. One thing you've mentioned that I think is important that a lot of people, you know, especially classical music listeners may not fully recognize is that it goes beyond playing a couple of composers and adding more diverse musicians to an organization. It goes to the marketing materials. It goes mm-hmm. to how things are presented. It goes to just even the audience experience. And it goes to, importantly, as you said, a diverse makeup of of boards and administrations. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, you know, I tell people all the time, what you're doing by rebuilding or actually growing the opera audience or the symphony orchestra audience is that you're enriching because we don't want to take away from what it is. We want to enrich, but people bringing different ideas and different flavors, it sweetens the pot. It makes it a lot more palatable. It makes it a lot, in my opinion, a lot more enjoyable and diverse. And so uh, I tell people that we only want to add to, because we bring our unique perspectives, our experiences, and all the things that we are into this room. And it just really diversifies it and I think makes it better. So the marketing has to be young and hip if you're trying to reach a group of, you know, young, you know, symphony or opera goers from age to 25 to 40. You can't have the same marketing as, you know, you're reaching, trying to reach someone 65 to 85. You know, I just don't think, you know, they don't quite have their finger on the pulse if you do that way. But if you feel like, okay, we want to target several groups with different types of publications, communication, I think that any artistic art institution is going to be a lot more successful if they can try to have more, again, more diversity, more minds in the room that we can be able to talk and to reach out to these small subgroups of our collective audience. So continuing with with organizations, I've worked in opera, but it's not something I do on a regular basis. And it seems like it's a little difficult right now because for a symphony orchestra, 90% of the time, there is no plot, there's no story in the music, it's just music. And very often, problematic views of a composer, they're easily shoved under the rug. But in opera, there's a cast, there's characters, there's a plot, there's a a whole range of things that are in the staples of the repertoire that were written in centuries past. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how that's being navigated going forward. If you think about the fact that these pieces have been written in centuries past, the climate, reality, history, we are told a different story. It was completely different. Yes, you had, uh, depending where it was, you had racism, you had classism, you had a discrimination, you had these many, you know, all these things. And if you think about the fact that many of these composers wrote, they wrote in the courts of kings and they were supported by high class patrons. And so they probably wrote these pieces uh, specifically opera, with people in mind that didn't look like me, perhaps. And so people may ask, how can you do magic flute as a black tenor? And I always say, I wasn't around when Mozart wrote this. Things were completely different when Mozart wrote this. All the things that I sing from Rossini, you know, I'm 
pretty sure, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that Rossini was probably not surrounded by Black people or just a diverse audience. I'm assuming that. But I would like to think that if I, if they were around today, the way they wrote, they would appreciate my talent and feel that it is something that they would like to use and to try to promote. And so, uh, yes, we have to tell a, we have to tell the same story in a different way today. So it's okay if you have something, even if it's written as blonde hair and blue eyes in the text. I think you can alter it today because we have to speak to communities and audiences of today. So we have to come into this century. We can't be in 1792. We can't be in 1688. We must be in 2020, 2021, 2022. So it's much more acceptable, rather, that, you know, to see diversity on stage and play the story because the story itself should not necessarily be based on someone's ethnicity. Uh, but I think you can tell compelling stories with people of all different types in a group together as if, you know, it could have been written today by a composer, Mozart, if he was living in 2020. I agree completely. That's that's a, a great way, I think, to to look at it and to kind of change the paradigm of, you know, this is today. It was written a long time ago. Mm-hmm. These stories, some of the problem areas aren't really intrinsic to the actual story itself. And this can be uh, well navigated. I think so. I mean, you know, a lot of these stories don't really, <laughs> they're historic, but the the human situation and the human conflict between them is the same. A story today would be told with the cell phone and Instagram and, you know, chat and, and these other things, you know, that story would be told today. And so we have to go back in time with the not having the tools that we have today. So we already have to suspend ourselves into this idea of disbelief. So why not we just include in these classic stories, just the idea that there's a colorblindness or a, you know, just an acceptance of all people, but tell the story because I think these, these interpersonal relationships still should function. So we've talked a lot about organizations and what can be done from there, but for Classical music listeners, you know, the person listening to the radio, the person listening to recordings, what can we do, you know, even just today to support change? Well, I think what you can do is when you see the seasons come out and you see something that is different than the normal thing you'd go to, support it. If you go and talk to uh, some of the people that work in some of these arts organizations, suggest it. They listen. If enough people begin to talk and enough people begin to attend the things that are different, if an organization takes a risk and brings in some type of performance that is alternative, that brings in, you know, a completely different way of doing something, but a different of group or, or something that is unique. If you have a full audience, it speaks volumes and it says to them, we support this idea of being progressive or buying the records of these people or trying to get your hands on other things. And so the consumer really is the one who speaks. When you fill these theaters and when you buy this music and when you support all these other things that are different than the typical Beethoven this or Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, the people in these artistic organizations, they listen. So the consumer is actually very, very powerful. And people need to know that when they speak in these ways, they listen. These organizations do listen. Yeah, it's it's one thing to speak up and say, I want you know, a more diverse this and that. Well, we have to actually show up and fill the seats as well. Exactly. Do you see any organizations that are kind of leading in this effort? 
Well, as of late, as you can imagine, I've been reached out to by many organizations and uh, probably four or five opera companies who've, they featured me on their stages and they've said to me, you know, we really want to know as an organization what we can do. And I said, continued diversity, but also going away from the norm. It's easy to go and do another mall or this. It's easy to go, you know, because you will have your, your, your stock audience that's your audience that's always there but if you really want to expand and diversify and to do something you have to be deliberate you have to be bold so you know all these american opera companies you know of course like lyric opera chicago um opera philadelphia houston grand opera all of these i've had some conversations with some of these people they all want to do better and all of them have already taken steps in the past to do better but they want to do increasingly more and many of them have said, you know, we didn't realize how much more there was to do. And not that they have been negligent in a sense, but they want to do more. And I appreciate the fact that they reached out to me, an artist of color, to see how, what it was that I thought that they could do better. And I said to them, you know, increased visibility, increased, uh, you know, more diverse programming, even more diverse casting. You know, why isn't it that you can have a conductor or a classical pianist, soloist pianist who's black or Asian or something like that? Every time you do something like that, I think you grow, you know, even exponentially, you grow the audience because you normally don't lose your people. If they love classical music, you add to. So continue to add to your groups, to your audiences, and make sure that we can grow this thing into something that is sustainable. I like that. It's not about changing the slices of the pie. It's about just making a bigger pie. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And speaking of supporting artists, like you just said, where can we find recordings and all of your stuff? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, of course, I think I'm on iTunes and Spotify and stuff like that. The industry today isn't necessarily something about where people make money per se, but it's great to uh, help with marketing. So when you go in to do these live events, these concerts and other things that people will have knowledge of who you are, and then they will come and support you because they appreciate what you've done on these CDs and stuff like that. So even if people go to YouTube and are interested in knowing who Lawrence Brownlee is, there's a lot of stuff that people can at least go to find out what I do as an artist. And then hopefully when they see that I'm coming to different cities, to New York or Philadelphia or Boston or even Vienna, Paris, that they would much be much more inclined and eager I hope to come to the theater. So just go looking for Lawrence Brownlee and I'm sure you'll find some things. <laughs> and you can start by looking on the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. I'll put a bunch of stuff up there linking to all of your materials and websites and, and calendar. Hopefully, you know, we'll be performing sooner than later, but I'll, I'll put all that information there. Lawrence, is there anything else that you want to speak to on this? It's really about building audiences. It's really about, you know, reaching out to people, diversify and add people, like you said, add to the pie, increase the size of the pie, because I think it'll be much more enjoyable if we do that. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking with me. Nice to talk with you, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown. For more information on Lawrence Brownlee and composers mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. And if you have any comments or ideas for episodes, send me an email at classicalbreakdown at weta.org. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from Classical WETA.